Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. We'll look at the first five verses. Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Father, as we have been looking at this, may we understand your provisions in each of our lives for everything that we need to be accomplishing. And Father, I pray that we don't fall into the traps. And that, Father, that you will overcome our weaknesses with the power that spoke existence into being. And that, Father, we can understand that through these men, you literally turned this world upside down. And, Father, you're still continuing. Father, may we understand and take great comfort to know that the Holy Spirit that indwelled these men, these eleven anyway, is the same Spirit that indwells us. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. I've already showed you that they started out as disciples. Disciples are learners. You have to be a learner before you can to be sent out. An apostle is just sent out one. He's a representative of the individual government or whatever that has sent them. Okay? The closest thing that you and I could really identify with would be an ambassador of a country. Okay? That person is sent out as a representative of the country. We, as we are learners, eventually we'll had better get to the point where we're willing to be sent out as representatives of Jesus Christ. So that's how it works. And yet I look at this group and I don't think you could get a more bizarre group of people. I mean, you got four fishermen that were brothers and there's no such thing in the Bible as sibling rivalry, right? Okay, Esau and Jacob and a few of them other guys. But anyway, so you've got Andrew and Peter. Andrew is the first one martyred with a sword. Then you have Peter uh, who... <laughs> God bless him, but uh, he, you know, he, he put it on the line. You have James and John, the sons of thunder. They have a great zeal, but if you've ever been around people who have a great zeal, they're annoying. They will drive you crazy. So God had to take these two brothers who have this great passionate zeal and temperate dudes, temperate. Then you can see. Philip, Bartholomew, both of them were students of the word. Bartholomew is also known as Nathaniel. They were looking. Philip is an evangelist. Philip, as soon as he found Messiah, he went and found Nathaniel and said, I have found him. But then you've got Bartholomew. He's prejudiced. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He has already his opinion. You have Thomas, who had a very intense passion to be near Christ. He gets a bad rap on calling him Doubting Thomas, but the truth of the matter was, he had seen him crucified. And I'm not sure that um, 
A lot of us have seen people raised from the dead. But he always wanted to be when they threatened to kill him in Jerusalem when he went down into Jericho. They said that Lazarus was deathly ill. He should come back. He says, let's go. And Thomas says, we should go and die with him. So that's a man who wants to be with Jesus. Then Matthew, the tax collector, a traitor to the nation of Israel. That's what a tax collector was. Because he was taking money from the Jewish nation and giving it to the Romans. Those were more despised than Gentiles. Those were more despised than Samaritans. Because they were betraying their country. James, son of Alphaeus. It's a good possibility. We don't know much about James. But it's a good possibility, a probability that he was Matthew's brother. The little one. Thaddeus. Then you have Simon the Zealot. Basically what that is is a political terrorist. you got a political terrorist that wants to reestablish Israel now by human means and a tax collector serving together side by side. And then, of course, we're finishing with Judas. This is my third message on Judas. When you even hear the name... What do you think? Traitor. Betrayer. You know, when I think about Judas, I see a man, this man, had some of the greatest opportunities and privileges that was only known by the other 11. Read verse 1 again. All authority was given to them over evil spirits, diseases, which means that Judas actually had power for a time to do miraculous works. And this man is the greatest illustration of missed opportunities and missed privileges. He had all of this in front of him, and he pursued destruction. Destruction. Lost opportunity. Lost opportunity. Think about the times in your life when you think you should have shared it with someone and you didn't. It's a lost opportunity. It's a waste of privilege. Judas ministered three years personally with Jesus Christ. Side by side. I mean, he looks right at him. Right there he stands. For three years. Three years. And yet in those three years, Judas was content to but associate with him. I was reading an illustration, and I think it's very advantageous to this section, this conclusion. A man was at a beautiful garden, and he was looking at the garden, beautiful flowers everywhere. And as he was observing, he noted that the butterfly was just bouncing around all over, just flutter, 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 just all over the place. Pretty soon, 
comes, comes this botanist and he's got a notebook. And he begins with his magnifying glass and his notebook to make notes and sketches. And he goes through it and then he gets done and he closes up his notebook and he walks away. But then he noticed a bee. And this bee comes and lands and bores itself into the flower, loads down with pollen, and heads back to the house. Okay? Now you guys are going to say, well, what's that got to do with the price of rice in China? Well, how many in the church today are like a butterfly? They're just flittering around. They go from one seminar to another seminar. They'll study the Bible, their favorite verses over and over again without ever really dissecting it. And they're just spending a lot of energy, but they're not accomplishing a thing. Or the botanist. I have seen people who have these massive packets of colored pencils. And they go through their Bibles and they write notes and color and arrows. And, and I do in mine. But mine, mine looks goofy. You'll see little smiley faces and frowny faces. And I don't know what the theology is on that. But anyway. But, and I see them go through this stuff. And they have these stacks of notebooks and notebooks and notebooks. And it has absolutely no effect. How many people get into the Bible like the bee? And says, when I get into this thing, when I come out, I'm going to be fuller than when I left. Than I got there. That's what happened to Judas. He saw it. He was without excuse. He saw him walk on water. He saw him raise the dead. He saw him create food. He saw, uh, I, I was reading Edelsheim and Edelsheim said, for three years, death and disease ceased in Palestine. He witnessed all of this. And they thought that he had something going because he was in charge of the money. The bookkeeper. The treasurer. What a lost opportunity. How many are content to associate with Jesus Christ? You ever thought about that? And yet Judas never submitted to him in saving faith. And yet witnessed all of that that he witnessed. I mean, I cannot imagine being on a boat. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. I cannot imagine on a boat and having the waves crash over the bow. And you're freaking out that your boat's about to sink. And if you were out in the middle of this thing, you'd better be a really good swimmer because it's a long way back. And yet Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat. And they say, we're going to die. He stands up and says, be still. And it says that the water went flat. That freaked me out. I'd get out of the boat. I'm done. <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't know. Worse than being a storm or have God standing there next to me. How many millions since Judas 
have followed his example. Listen, I'm not talking about hardcore atheists. There ain't no God, you can't make me believe. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who've seen it. People who've been involved in it. People who have associated with it and walk away. They follow the example of Judas. Hearing the gospel and associating with Christians, yet rejecting Jesus Christ. How many people are sitting in churches today who associate? And see, we look at Judas as, oh, how hideous. How many are sitting in a church today are doing the same thing? Many will call me Lord. And I will say, away from me, I never knew you. These that would reject, that are following the example of Judas, as with Judas, are damned for all eternity. That's wasted privilege. I remember talking to a uh, Russian pastor right after um, Glasnov Perestroika happened. Great big man. Huge Russian. <laughs> Igor. And I remember looking at him and I said, uh, with this newfound freedom, what is the greatest thing that you've got a handle on now? This guy starts weeping. He says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Wait a minute. You're free to travel around your country. I mean, you couldn't even leave your town without a visa. And you're telling me that's the greatest thing? He says, I had no idea that there was a letter to the Ephesians. I said, well, weren't you a preacher? He said, yeah. He says, all I had was Luke. 30 years of preaching Luke. You got, bet you guys got that down, don't you? Unless you're like a butterfly or a botanist. Do you really understand that? You and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. In case you're wondering, that's where I'm going next. I read some wonderful stuff about the Ephesians, but I look at it from this perspective. I've been reading Ephesians since about this time last year, every day. And what I see in Ephesians, God's checkbook that you can never overdraw. Because I read through Ephesians of what every Christian possesses right now, and it's staggering. And yet I look around, and I, I don't know if people are afraid to write the check. I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't, we don't understand. We are heirs of creation. Joint heirs with Christ. Judas experienced this firsthand. Let me go. I've always had this thought. Remember when he took and multiplied the food? 
What would perfectly created bread taste like? It's gluten-free. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we go out and we do all this. He created it. What does that taste like? That's amazing to me. And Judas was there. Judas would have had the riches of an eternal inheritance. But he chose 30 pieces of silver. That is a a massive illustration of the destructiveness and the damning effect that greed can have. You can have an eternal inheritance that rust and thief can't touch and you would give it up for 30 pieces of silver. See, we can look here now and we look at what Judas did as unthinkable. How could you can't, you can't 30 pieces of silver? I mean, even dollars, $20 an ounce. Come on, man. And we look at that as, that's intolerable. How could you? Really? I want you to look around at our community. I want you to look around at our country. How many who place wealth and pleasure above godliness? What's the difference between them and Judas? I know a bunch of people. I mean, you go, most homes have multiple Bibles. I mean, you can get, I see them on their phones now. People have got the Bible on their phones. And I'm like, you know, as I get older, my eyes get worse. Unless I get a phone that's about that big, I ain't getting it on the phone. Okay? I, I need big phone. Okay? Maybe I get one that just talks to me. All of us have so many avenues to resources. You know, it's, it's so funny when I hear people tell me that the Bible's full of contradictions and how can you believe it? And I, I just look at them and think, the resources and the science that we have right now, how could you say that about the Bible? And it's incredible. I mean, you can get on the Internet right now and become a theologian just sitting at your computer. You can see the artifacts that they've dug up. You can see what has happened. And yet people, you know, engage their mouth without engaging their brain. But I know why, and it's because we want what the world has to offer. The fruit, the forbidden fruit, was pleasurable to look at. How many people do the same thing? You ever think about that? That's amazing to me. Had some people ask me, they said, well, you're going to get a hundred shoeboxes, you're going to get a hundred stars. How in the world are you going to, you know what? We'll see how far I am in uh, Ephesians. 
That shouldn't be any problem. I don't care how small we are. But will we take the time? We have to be aware that the time is running out. The thing that is amazing to me, the single most valuable thing that each and every one of you have right now, beyond anything you can think of, is time. You have no idea how much you've spent. You have no idea how much you've got left. And you don't know when time's up. And yet, if you think about what we do with our time, I mean, you can just waste it on, I don't know, sitting and looking at a computer screen. I mean, I, the time that we waste, you know what, when all you have to do is go look at your Bible, read your Bible. Read your Bible. We look at Judas and say what he did was unthinkable. But I look around our country, I look around our community. I was talking to some people who've been in Castle Rock um, for, for a while, but they hadn't been here as long as I've been. And they want to tell me that, you know, look at the growth and everything. I can't believe they're doing this. And I said, well, let me explain to you growth. The first deer I ever got with a bow was in Founders. First antelope I ever got was in the meadows. Okay, when I moved to Castle Rock, there was one traffic light. Okay, Perry Street stopped at the old location of the church. Okay, so I know what growth is. I'm looking at what they're doing up there north of Founders. They've taken 70 feet of mountain and moved it, and they're calling it a hill community. Where'd you put it? But I mean, I I just look at it and, you know, I I get caught coming back and forth uh, and they blast it. And it's hilarious to watch because the cop sits out there and stops. And these guys have gone through and drilled all these holes and filled it up with plastic. And all of a sudden you see that whole thing and just go, (laughs) and you're like, wow, can I like that? (laughs) I want to do one of those. But I also looked at that corner lot up there on Ridge Road. $1,000 square foot. I was just church wanting to buy it. Okay, how about one square foot? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do, people. That's what we're trying to do. Let me close Judas on a positive note. Judas, in my perspective, as I have read my Bible, is the greatest single illustration of Christ's patience, Christ's love, and Christ's grace. Uh, some of you know Karen. Her son, Brett, lives up in Wisconsin. And I pray for him every day. And if you look at what he's doing, you think that it's a waste of time. And Karen gets concerned her son is going to spend eternity in hell. 
And I told her, as long as he has breath, he can be redeemed. Now what does it take? Whatever God needs. But I also know he knows that he is long-suffering. See, the amazing thing about Judas was Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. And yet Jesus tolerated him for three years. And Jesus constantly reached out to him. Let me show you something that we miss it every once in a while. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verse 50. Let's read the context. This is when the temple guard has come to arrest Jesus in the Mount of Olives. Now he who was betraying him gave him a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. That's Judas. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. What was Jesus' response? Verse 50. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Jesus, being betrayed with a kiss, called the betrayer what? Friend. He was still reaching out with love, grace, and patience. Listen, if you've ever been betrayed by a friend, you know that pain. That pain's different. I'm talking about being betrayed by a friend. I'm not talking, we get betrayed all kinds of times. But when you take someone that is your friend and they betray you, that's a different pain. What was the Lord's pain? Because, see, he knew ahead of time that Judas was going to do it. But he also knew the seriousness of the consequences. See, regardless of what you might think, God rules hell. Okay? He ain't, the devil ain't down there like Yosemite Sam with a horn and pitchfork tormenting everybody. He gets the same torment as those who would reject Jesus Christ. Okay? So he knows what that place is. Jesus taught more on hell than any writer in the scriptures. Because he knows what it is. You know, it's, uh, I was listening to a philosopher one time discussing good and evil and da 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 and all the rest of it. Um, Evil is nothing but the lack of God. Okay? That's all it is. So when we say there is no God, guess what we get? Go look around. Look at history. Look at civilization. Remove God. What do you get? See, Jesus knows that hell is the absence of God. And if you got the absence of God, what would be beautiful? You know, I, I, I remember talking to a guy and he says, well, you know, all my friends are going to be there. I said, you'll never know it. And he said, what? And I says, it's black. It's hot. 
You're not going to know it. All you're going to hear is screaming for eternity. But I said, don't worry. God has been so merciful. He's going to give you a resurrected body that can never die so you can be tormented for eternity. That don't sound like a nice God. Then you might want to weigh your options. What pain had that had to be for the Lord Jesus Christ to spend three years with this man and see all that this man has seen, do what this man had done, knowing the whole time he was going to betray him, and yet he never relented in reaching to him. He loved Judas, and he knew his betrayal was necessary part of the redemptive plan. I'm still amazed that betraying him with a kiss, Jesus says, friend, do what you do quickly. Listen, I want to close with this thought. You see the illustration of God's love, grace, patience. Let me tell you something. The sins that destroyed Judas are so very common today. So very common. And you know what? Between you and me, they should be avoided at all costs. Ask yourself a question. When it comes to scriptures, do you float around on them like a butterfly? Do you sit like the botanist, take copious notes, pictures, and then close up your book? Or are you like the bee and you dive deep into it to be covered with it so that you can return to your home? full listen my prayers for you all this week before I uh, preach this last section is that we use every opportunity and every privilege that God gives us okay part of the reason that I was kind of pushed to go into uh, Ephesians. Because the provisions that was given these 12 men were for all of them. And yet one willingly walked away from it to eternal damnation. Let us not take advantage of His patience, nor let us take advantage of His grace. Because the sins that condemn Judas are way more common than what you think. Judas wasn't a murderer. Judas didn't commit adultery. You think about that for a second. Because see, we put those people, those really, really bad people. But to be associated with Jesus Christ and not draw to saving faith, It's no different than Judas.
Okay? Let's close with prayer. Father, we come to you. Thank you for these men, their personalities, and yet, Father, the provision that you provided to all of them. Father, how they overwhelmed the world. Father, I pray for each of us that we understand the opportunities and the privileges that are given to every child of God. May you instill in our hearts a hunger, a thirst for your word. And Father, we may be filled over and over and over. Lord, I look at these men with their weaknesses, their frailties. I guess you call them character flaws. And Father, I see the same in every church. And yet, Father, you overcome. Father, overcome our weaknesses. Overcome our flaws. Father, that we may reflect the glory, grace, patience, and love of you who redeemed us. Jesus can call Judas friend. Father, let us be followers of Jesus Christ. To you, my King, my Lord. Amen.